Hello, Texans, and welcome to the podcast. And we've got a fun one for you with Wes Durham, voice of the Atlanta Falcons. Used to be the voice of Georgia Tech when Bill O'Brien was an assistant there. Does a lot of ACC stuff, so we'll dig deep with him. A lot of good stories. Kevin Kugler, Westwood One, Sunday Night Football, Big Ten Network, College Basketball, Masters Golf on Westwood One. My buddy Andre Ware on as well. And Freddy's Frozen Custard, always on. The steak burgers, oh my gosh, so good. 16 locations, two new ones coming soon. The food truck, custom designed to bring the steak burgers, fries, and frozen custard you love to your event. Freddy's Original Double Steak Burger is a real game changer. All right, let's get into it here with Wes Durham, who was the voice of the Yellow Jackets, the rambling wreck of Georgia Tech when Bill O'Brien was there. Well, it actually goes back to when he was a GA. Um because I got the job at Georgia Tech in 1995, and he had just come on as a GA for Coach O'Leary, George O'Leary. And it wasn't long after I first met Bill that um, we realized that I had done a game when I was at Marshall that he had actually played in for Brown. Um, So we kind of connected a little bit there, and then – Golly, I met he. I met Colleen when they were dating. I mean, you know, what do you want me to tell you? Uh, it's um, you know, it, it, it's a. I'm, I'm thrilled for him. I'm, I'm thrilled for his football journey, but also he and Colleen are just wonderful, wonderful people. So, the memories are football centric, but they're very fond because of our friendship, and we still occasionally connect. And, and I hope I get a chance to visit with him before Sunday. But he was a really good football coach, a smart guy, obviously, and. Uh, not anybody who was around Georgia Tech at that time is surprised at the success he's had in terms of his football coaching at all. And Doug Marone was around too, right? Yeah, Doug was the football ops guy in 1995, later became an assistant. It was kind of an interesting situation because that staff also featured Randy Ethel at one point, who was a former defensive coordinator in Jacksonville. There was an interesting line of, uh, you know, kind of a pedigree of, Northeast guys, uh, Tom Coughlin influenced guys, obviously George O'Leary with Bobby Ross influenced guys. I mean, there, there was all sorts of different kind of coaching trees crossing there. It was a really good staff, and, and Georgia Tech had just come off a 1-10 season when Coach O'Leary was named the head coach, and all these guys got there. And then, you know, lo and behold, they won an ACC title and double-figure games in 1998. They won 10 games, and so – it was uh, it was a really good way to kind of start my what ultimately ended up being an 18 year career there, Mark. But you also had a lot of friendships that you still have, even with guys who played who are also now coaches or scouts or, or doing something else in football as well. Wes Durham joining us, voice of the Falcons, also former voice of Georgia Tech, and currently with ACC stuff with Fox Sports and everything else you do, Wes. Now, how difficult a decision was it when you left Georgia Tech? to do more ACC at large type stuff on television? Well, it was just a, it was a professional opportunity I couldn't turn down. I mean, I, I just kind of wanted to, to see if I would want to do television. I was going to do a handful of games in 2013 because Georgia Tech had four Saturdays off, Mark, because of a double buy, you know, the two buys uh, in the schedule, and then they had two Thursday night games. And uh, I was talking to the folks at Fox and, and Raycom Sports at the time, and um, well, I went in to do a screen test with them because they were hiring a new analyst for the regular package. And the next thing I know, they're asking me if I'm interested in doing the whole package. And um, my wife laughs today. Fortunately, we didn't have a long time to make the decision. We only had about 72 hours to decide. But 
Um, we made the decision, and I'm fortunate because when the ACC network from ESPN launched in August, they were good enough to include me, and now I'm doing games on the new network and doing a daily morning show, and I've had to kind of relocate to Charlotte to do that. But um, I've been very blessed and very fortunate to, to see some dreams on that side for sure and still get the great support of, of Mr. Blank and Rich McKay to keep doing the Falcons on radio as well. Wes Durham with us, voice of the Falcons. And, Wes, I was on Twitter, and sometimes these stories don't end well when you begin them with, I was on Twitter. But I was on Twitter, <laughs> and I saw an old video of you doing a coach's show for Radford, and yeah. Oliver Purnell is the coach, and you're talking about the Lockhaven game. And I just love this stuff because it shows where you were and where you are now. Mm-hmm. And and we talked about connections and you knowing Bill O'Brien from Georgia Tech. There's Oliver Purnell back at Radford. That's really cool stuff. Yeah, yeah, and he and I connected there. And, um, you know, and now uh, it's ironic, you know, one of his former student managers at Clemson was Will Wade, who's the basketball coach at LSU. I mean, that shows you just how small the neighborhood can get sometimes, right? I mean, Absolutely. Um, it, it's amazing. And, uh, yeah, I, I've been very fortunate, Mark. Uh, I mean, first time you and I met, I was at Georgia Tech, and you were at UMass. Right. Exactly. And so, yeah, I mean, it, it's crazy how this business works. And, um, you know, in some ways, announcers are a little bit like coaches. We have different connections to different trees and, and that kind of thing. But it's uh, – yeah, Radford was a great place to start out of college. They gave me an opportunity that uh, I didn't. I wasn't sure I was going to get a first job out of college, and ended up with a pretty good one that helped me really get started. Wes, you posted something about your father recently, the legendary mm-hmm. Woody Durham, and I just uh, I love that as well. Seeing that kind of tribute, was there ever any doubt that you were going to go into this line of work uh, with your dad doing what he did? Um, I don't know that there was a doubt. I. I think, like a lot of us, I got connected in this because I love sports. I like playing. I played basketball most of my teenage years and, and adolescent years, youth years growing up in North Carolina, and uh, had a blast playing basketball. Played a little bit of football, a little bit of baseball, but um, I wanted to stay connected to sports. And so I saw how much passion and work ethic and enthusiasm my dad had for doing games and and working in television at the time, and and I really connected to it, and uh, I thought it was a great way to stay stay tied to sports, and so especially college sports, and it just so happened that I have an opportunity to do the NFL behind it. And, um, I, you know, like I said a moment ago, I've been fortunate to have really I had a great college experience. I mean, I did I had a lot of bad tape in college now, um, and there's still some of it out there, which is scary too, but. Um, the, uh, the the experiences I had have all been very rewarding, and I've learned. Tried to keep an open mind as I get older and further in the career to keep learning. And uh, you know, I had the opportunity to speak to a group at Syracuse last week, and I think I learned as much as they did. I mean, I, I asked them more questions than they asked me, just about the process they're going through now with all the technology and things like that that are available. But um, my dad's a tremendous influence. Still, still is. I mean, even 18 months after he passed away, he's He's still with me in terms of the preparation I go through every week and things like that. And, um, I typically have something of his that I wear on television uh, the last year or so since he passed away. I wear either a lapel pin, a tie, or a pocket square on all my television broadcasts. It's, it's kind of like a just a, a small tribute to, to what he meant to me and, uh, and certainly to people in the ACC as well. 
That's fantastic to honor him that way. And, you know, I ask you these questions because I have Vanderkid who's 13, but he still thinks he's going to be DeAndre Hopkins instead of his dad. So we'll see how that works out. For now, that's well, his dream. I was six feet. I was six feet tall and 185 at 12. I thought I was going to be something, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about the Falcons now. I know it's not a good start at all. And one thing that jumps out to me is uh, obviously the turnover problem, the turnover differential issue, and also not running the football. What do you make of all of that? Well, I think that the the running game is, is pretty well tied to kind of what has been a, a little bit of chaos up front, to be honest with you. I mean, you know, you lose your number one pick or one of your two number ones in Chris Lindstrom in the opening game against Minnesota. Uh, and and while you were going through that process, you were just kind of getting James Carpenter and Jamon Brown back to full speed from, you know, kind of a scattershot through training camp in terms of their health. And then Caleb McGarry, you know, didn't play until the last preseason game, really. So, you know, the, the offensive line is probably still just taking the name tags off, if you know what I mean. Um I think that certainly has handcuffed the run game. The, the thing that's probably more concerning is that they've just gotten off these plotting starts. I mean, last week against Indianapolis, uh, or rather against Tennessee, Mark, was the first time they'd scored a touchdown in the first quarter of the game. Um, they, In fact, both they and the Titans only had three points in the first quarter going into the ball game last week. Mm. So the slow start is is very troublesome, especially since Atlanta's best teams have typically been fast starters. Um, I'm going to be interested to see kind of how they play Sunday because last week against Tennessee was just not good at all. Uh, the defense didn't play particularly well. The offense struggled most of the day. Um, you know, and, and to be honest with you, they, they did the defense, Mariota had been sacked, I think, 17 times coming to the game and didn't get touched once. Ryan had gone, uh, did not get sacked in Indianapolis, and he was hit four times last week. So th- there's a lot of concern. Now, you, you counter that with, and you've seen this as well as I have, that, you know, a Sunday does not make a season, right? Right. So here's here's Atlanta, who doesn't play very well, and they'll come in and play with their hair on fire. The only concern I have there is is that Houston's strength plays to Atlanta's weakness, and that is that, you know, J.J. Watt is such a terror and no matter how many guys you put over there, he's going to make an impact on the ball game. So the resources that Atlanta will have to commit to stopping J.J. Watt and the, and the rest of that talented defense is a concern to at least me. And how will the Falcons you know, develop any kind of offensive continuity or rhythm in the ball game on Sunday? I think that's one of the big, real big questions going in, to be honest with you. Wes Durham, voice of the Falcons, with us on Texans Radio. I noticed the receivers, how could you not, and two guys having nine catches last week, and Jones wasn't one of them. There's a lot of talent there in that crew. Yeah, it's it's really remarkable. And, you know, everybody looks at Ryan's numbers and says, well, how can he have the interceptions? Well, there are a lot of times at bat now. I mean, uh, Julio Jones is spectacular. I mean, he's just, you know, it's as good as advertised, and sometimes even better. Uh, but Austin Hooper's really off to a nice start this year, and I thought he might be because Dirk Cutter and Mike Malarkey have a lot of influence in this offense, and both guys like tight ends, and Hoop is a is a really emerging guy who can who can do a lot of things. I think Muhammad Sanu and Calvin Ridley have had very good starts. Ridley kind of went away a little bit um, in the last couple of weeks, but I think you'll see more of him. Uh, and then Sanu has just been as steady as, as it gets, and and Mo is uh, has been a really good addition to this team the last four years, and, and I'm excited to see kind of where it goes. But 
I'll go back to my concern and you can't throw it every down. And so you got to be able to run it a little bit. And now they're below 75 yards a game rushing, which is a, a real big concern going into, going into this game. And, and really you don't want it to become some sort of habit that you have the rest of the 2019 season. Wes, what's the relationship like between Matt Ryan and the fan base, the community in Atlanta? It's pretty good. I mean, the, you know, a lot of people are are anxious, and you know, Mark. I mean, when they got to Houston a few years ago, three years ago now for the Super Bowl, I mean, this this place was flying high, and it's it's a franchise that has done a lot of good good things. But you get that close, and you have that kind of night, you're anxious to try and get back to make up for the missed chance. And I think you know the fan base, as much as the team, sometimes can be accused of pressing a little too much. We'll see where it goes. Um, I think this is a team that can still have a very, very quality year. They're going to have to do it without a Pro Bowl guy, safety, and Keanu Neal, who was obviously lost in the Indy game. But Ryan does a great job of being the face of this franchise. And it's one of those things that, you know, you and I probably had the good fortune to see in sports of a guy who followed the guy and may, you know, be gone five years before he ever gets the full credit he deserves. But, the Falcon organization has been very, very blessed to have Matt Ryan, uh, especially on the heels of Bobby Petrino and the Michael Vick thing and all that stuff. In 2008, with a new coach and a new GM, they drafted a kid out of Boston College who's a great competitor, an incredibly hard worker, uh, who wants to win. And it's been great. I mean, this is, you know, Mark, it's amazing. This is the most successful stretch this franchise has ever had. I mean, ever in 54 years. And so... You know, sometimes that gets lost in the uh, "what have you done for me lately" deal. But on the most part, I think I think Matt Ryan is uh, is beloved by by a majority, a vast majority of the sports fans in Atlanta and the Falcon fans in particular. One more for you, Wes. What are people saying about the Texans that you've been able to gather so far? What's the reaction to what they're facing on Sunday here at NRG Stadium? Well, I think the one thing, and I'll go back to the Watt deal, is is that you know JJ Watt is. And Atlanta has, has, you know, struggled at times with guys who are dominant at defensive end. I mean, you know, and it's it's possible that Sunday could be that way. Um, but then again, you know, the Texans are also competing. And I think the one thing that's happened, I don't know how the how your division feels about it. I think one thing that's happened with the NFC South playing the AFC South this year is um, I realize how, how competitive your division is now with Andrew Luck's retirement and all the things going on around it. I mean, Gardner Minshew coming on in Jacksonville, and certainly Brissett's also a good start in Indy and things of that nature. I mean, it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in that division. So Houston's got plenty to play for at 2-2, two and two, and albeit a non-conference game. Um, you know, I think Falcon fans understand now you're, you're rolling against a division that is uh, it's kind of up for grabs as well. I, I will say this. There, there are a lot of people in this market that are going to be excited for, for Deshaun because – Deshaun grew up in Gainesville. He was a ball boy at the Falcons camp for, for a few years. He's a great young man. I had the chance to meet him before his junior year in high school at training camp. And, and you know, a lot of people in the organization themselves, Mark, are thrilled for his success. They were they were thrilled for him at Clemson, and they're even more thrilled for him to have the, the kind of professional career he's having because he's such a, he's such a good young man and, uh, and obviously with a great organization. I said one more before I lied. One more now, and that is Atlanta, of course, a very proud professional sports town, but college football being so dominating in the South, what's the balance like between 
college sports, college football, and pro sports in Atlanta with the fan base and sports talk and all of that? Well, I think for me, it, you know, having been in the market since 1995, Mark, I, I can tell you that it, it's incumbent upon winning, okay, first of all. And the Braves obviously are in the playoffs, so that, that certainly helps the momentum for them in the market. Uh, when the Falcons are winning and having some success, they're very strong in the market. But make no mistake, it's it's college football now. I, I mean, I like to tell everybody, Atlanta, Georgia is the crossroads of the SEC and the ACC in so many ways. I mean, you think within a four-hour drive of the schools you can get to from the Atlanta market, it's it's amazing. You can go Auburn, Alabama, Tennessee, Clemson, South Carolina, Georgia, Georgia Tech, and I, I mean, I'm missing some. Yeah. You know, I mean, that just shows you where you can get in four, four and a half hours, and um, and for that reason, Atlanta is a melting pot of college football, um, and it's uh, it's a strong, strong college football market. There's no question, and it's obviously a heavily Georgia market. But I think people from outside would be really, really surprised to see the uh, all the schools that are represented in, in in Atlanta when it comes to college football. How do you like the new stadium? It's pretty good. It's uh, it's an unbelievable spectator venue. Um, it's, uh, you know, and I've had, I have not gone to the, to the Mercedes-Benz Stadium except to do games. Isn't that unique? Um, but I've had, my wife's told me, a bunch of friends have told me, people I interact with in business have told me that uh, the sight lines, the seating bowl, just the venue itself is, is really second to none. And um, like Houston, I think it's a building that will put Atlanta on the map now for, major events not only in American sports, but certainly an opportunity to host international events like the World Cup here in the next few years as well. Wes, thanks so much for the time, and we really look forward to seeing you on Sunday. Okay, Mark. Thanks, man. Wes Durham, voice of the Atlanta Falcons and former voice of Georgia Tech. All right, my buddy Kevin Kugler does Texans preseason television. Westwood won Sunday Night Football. Just got off a good one with the Saints and Cowboys 12-10, the final score, low scoring. But as Kevin will tell you, it's that kind of thing where you'd rather have a close game even though it's low scoring, not a lot of fireworks, but there's drama in the fourth quarter. Yeah, it is. It's one of those where if you go into and you know this, if you go into a game and you have something exciting to talk about in the fourth quarter, that's usually a pretty successful night. Now, and I don't, unlike you guys, I don't have a rooting interest in who wins or loses on these games. So right. for me, the rooting interest is, can I be compelled to enjoy the game even longer than normal? And that was the case on Sunday night. It was, it was not one that I, you know, you're not going to hang that game in the Louvre. It was kind of ugly, kind of sloppy. Uh, some plays were made at the end that, uh, it, like taking a sack late in the game from Teddy Bridgewater that knocks you out of field goal range that one would question. Uh, but it was a, an entertaining game. The atmosphere, as you guys know from New Orleans time, is, is just great. It's, it's always exciting in New Orleans. And the, the Saints got a big win, and now the Cowboys have to figure out, okay, where's our offense? It had shown up big in the first three weeks, but it questioned a little bit about who they had played in the first three weeks. Now they've played a legit playoff contender, and things didn't go very well for the Cowboys. I have to ask you about Atlanta, because you did Atlanta and Philly, and Atlanta won that game, and they're not doing so well against the AFC South, and I really hope that continues on Sunday when they visit here <laughs> So what do you think of them, though? They won the game that you did in the Sunday nighter, but they lose to Tennessee at home this past week, and they had a loss to Indy as well. Yeah, they're, they're a head-scratcher because I look at that team and their talent 
outstrips their results for me so far. I still think Matt Ryan's an excellent quarterback. He's really good in home openers, which is probably why they won that game because he just dominates. I think he's 11-1 and now in home openers. So clearly that will not impact the game this weekend in Houston in any way, shape, or form. But you've got one of the best wide receivers in the game in Julio Jones. I say one of the best because I think the best lives in Houston. You've got Devontae Freeman who is, I think, a very talented running back. You've got several guys who can you know, move the football if you need to. Mohamed Sanu is a nice complimentary guy. I just This is an interesting time for Atlanta Falcons football because they looked terrible in the opener against Minnesota. They were pretty good against Philly. And then losing at Indy and then losing last week to Tennessee is a real head-scratcher. This is a, this is a big game for Dan Quinn and Atlanta this weekend. They were grumbling down there after week one when they lost 28-12 at Minnesota. The grumbles are growing louder around Dan Quinn in his fifth year. This is a really big opportunity for the Falcons this weekend. If they come on the road to Houston and they fall short, they've got Arizona, they've got the Rams and Seattle to close out the month of October. That's not an easy stretch. This could be a real problem for Dan Quinn. I think it's a pivotal game for the Falcons in his tenure right now. Kevin Kugler, Westwood One, joining us on Texans Radio. Okay, this Sunday you have the Colts and Kansas City. What do you make of this one? This Chiefs team is fantastic. And you saw last week they played the Lions. They didn't play their best game at any level. I mean, there were problems on offense. There were problems on defense, even with the score that they put up on the board. But I think you saw what Patrick Mahomes is going to be, which is he's a franchise quarterback for the next decade. The Chiefs are, you hear this a lot in baseball, oh, their window is open. They've got, you know, this core of young players in baseball, so their window to compete is open. In the NFL, when you've got a good, talented young quarterback, your window is open. The Chiefs have that window open right now because Patrick Mahomes is fantastic. And the Colts, to me, have been maybe a little better than anticipated in the preseason after Andrew Luck decided to step aside. This indie team is intriguing. This is a tough test, though. I mean, you've, played, you've been in Kansas City. You know how that atmosphere is. It's one of the loudest places in the NFL, especially at night. And they're coming off a game in which they would all say was not their best game. Tough test for Indy this weekend to try to go into Kansas City and knock off a Chiefs team that feels like they got a win even when they didn't play their best, but now they're ready to play their best. Yeah, and they pulled one out of the fire, like you said. And the Patriots were at Buffalo, and they got the win. It wasn't easy at times. And, in fact, they're taking some heat in New England because I guess they didn't win by enough. And, boy, that's a luxury problem I'd like to have sometimes. But the Patriots, you had them on opening night when they took on the Steelers and completely steamrolled them with Roethlisberger. How surprised were you at that result, and how good do you think this Patriots team is going to be this year? Well, here's the funny thing. Anybody who's been around me, it, it, to me, it's funny that that's, the, that that's the reaction in New England right now. It just shows how successful that franchise has been over the last decade because the conventional wisdom in, in and around NFL circles is, yeah, September is always the month where Belichick just sort of experiments. You know, I'm going to put this guy here and see what he can do. I'm going to go over here and run this play and see what happens. Or I'm going to use this personnel grouping. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen? It's sort of like an extended preseason with his veterans for him. And then in October and November, things usually ramp up. And I was looking at them the other day, and I know they had the close call against Buffalo, who I think is a better team than they have been in recent years. And my thought was, wow, the Patriots have gotten through September without a blemish. This Patriots team survived the tinkering month, the month where, you know, maybe they lose a game or two and everybody panics, and then all of a sudden they're 13-3 and and on their way to the Super Bowl again. This Patriots team survived that month 
and now they start to gear it up. I, to me, as long as Bill Belichick's the head coach and Tom Brady appears to still be Tom Brady, I don't care what personnel they have coming in or going out. I don't care whether Antonio Brown was on the team for 12 minutes or 12 hours or 12 days. This team is still the team to beat for every single franchise in the National Football League, and they survived this month without a problem. Um, I think that's a, that's a scary thought for everybody else the rest of the way. Kevin Kugler, Westwood One, joining us on Texans Radio. Okay, a couple of other questions here. You do the Masters for Westwood One. Is golf a good radio sport? What do you think of golf on the radio broadcasting it? <laughs> well, as, as one who's doing it, uh, I love it. No, it is. <laughs> here's, here's the thing with golf on the radio. It is the, it's a challenging sport because you have to paint every single picture that you can in a limited window because you've got to get to five other holes where action is occurring. So to me, it's just a, it's, it's the biggest challenge I have in a calendar year is trying to describe Amen Corner in the 30 to 45 seconds I have each time they come to me to describe something. Well, do you have to call the whole thing off a monitor, basically? Because there's just no way you can be looking at one hole and, and know what's going on with the rest of the tournament. So is that how you do it? Well, you watch the rest of the tournament off the monitor, and you listen to the coverage that's going on, of course, and listen to what everybody's saying on every other hole. But, you know, where I'm sitting at Amen Corner, I've got the 11th green in front of me, and then to my right is the 12 tee, and then, of course, 12 green. So I can see all of that without having to do a monitor. So I'm sitting out and out there at Amen Corner, and now you're making me long for the spring and summer months that have just gone by. <laughs> uh, but now you sit out there at Amen Corner, and you, just, and you get to watch all the stuff that happens in front of you with the context that, yeah, you've heard or seen what's happened on the holes previous to when you get there. Yeah, well, we're still in the 90s in Houston, by the way, so there's that. Okay, so... <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking about getting a coat to bundle up on Sunday night in Kansas City. It's supposed to be only in the 60s. Oh, yeah, we'll be there next week with the burnt ends. I'm definitely going to have some of those. All right, so let's go to college football here, the Big Ten Network. You're operating on that, and... You know, it's an interesting league right now. I saw Ohio State and Nebraska, and then I looked away. Uh, what do you think? Is it all about Ohio State, Penn State off to a good start? What do you think of the league? I think it's top-heavy. Um, and, I, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing, because I also think the SEC is top-heavy. Their top may be a little larger than the Big Ten this year. But I look at Ohio State. Clearly, to me, Ohio State is on the same caliber to this point as Clemson and Alabama. People will scoff at that. Scoff, if you will you're going to be calling Chase Young's name next year somewhere in the National Football League. That kid's a stud. He'll be a top two or three pick in the draft next year. He's their rush end at Ohio State. He's as good as anybody in the country. They've got a lot of talent like that on that Ohio State roster. So it all comes down to talent at college football for the most part. And Ohio State has as much talent as anybody else. So it's Ohio State. Then Penn State's right there. They're young. They're talented. They're somewhat untested. They'll get a couple of good tests coming up over the next couple of weeks, including a night game at Iowa next week that I think is a really intriguing one. Iowa's a solid but not spectacular team. Iowa goes to play Michigan this weekend, and to me this is the, the, the big test for, for the Big Ten this week. Can Michigan, who pounded Rutgers last week 52 to nothing, that prompted Rutgers to fire their head coach, can they show that they've bounced back from their loss to Wisconsin enough? Because they're the only other team that has the talent on paper in this conference this year to be a major player at the national level. But if they play like they did against Wisconsin, they'll be a four-loss team by the end of the year. Kevin, what do you think of, and I know that 
college football officials, for lack of a better way of putting it. The the brass in college football has talked about the attendance situation, and I know you go a lot of places where that's not even an issue. It's just an amazing atmosphere. But I know you probably also go to some places where, ooh, these Gen Zers are not coming out in full force the way they might have a half a generation ago. What are your thoughts on that? It's a concern for colleges, and, you know, you're you're kind of – it's a double-edged sword in a lot of ways because you want the, the broadcast business to be strong because those television revenues are paying for so many of the upgrades that campuses are putting in, whether it's new facilities or new locker rooms or new whatever. Those are being paid for in part because of television revenue. So you want television revenue to be strong, but because television revenue is strong and the television broadcasts are so good, people are saying, well, I'm not going to spend all this money on beer and on parking and everything else at the college level. I'm just going to stay home on a college football Saturday and watch nine games from across the country on my big screen TV. It's a big-time challenge right now. And and I don't know that there's anybody in place currently to overwhelmingly address this from a college football standpoint. There is a lot of, there's a lot of discussion in college football circles about whether or not college football couldn't use some sort of commissioner or something along those lines to kind of oversee some of the big issues facing college football. And the more and more you go down the road of looking at some of the things that college football has in store, you wonder if a commissioner's position wouldn't be a bad thing for college football. It's such an overwhelming sport, more so than anything else at the college level. Maybe it's time for somebody to be the guy who sits on top of that sport and just sort of is the guy overseeing and running everything that you have in college football. That would be quite a job. I mean, it's an endless list, and you're right. It's a good idea. Hey, Kevin, all right, so what's your next college game as we're on the subject? Uh, Illinois-Minnesota this weekend, and then uh, then we don't know. Uh, we're on the we're on the six-day pick wagon right now, so we have <laughs> no idea. I'm working with, uh, with former NFL linebacker Matt Millen on all my games this year, yep. and we don't know where we're going. So it's basically we go to Minnesota, who's unbeaten, and uh, they'll get a test from Lovey Smith's Illinois team this weekend, and then – who knows after that? It's anybody's guess. It's mystery date. I love it. Sounds good. It is. It's a mystery date. We'll draw a name out of a hat and we'll go there. All right. And Sunday night, Colts and Kansas City. That's on Westwood One. Heard locally here on Sports Radio 610. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me on. Kevin Kugler from Westwood One and a bunch of other things that we talked about just now. Andre Ware joins us now does the games with me for 18 years and let's talk about the falcons this is a team with uh you know obviously led by matt ryan and there's uh one of the worst turnover margins in the nfl at minus five and they're turning it over at an alarming rate what's scary about it is this they can reel that in it's a very talented roster that um will allow them to score a lot of points score points quickly because there's just weapons at his disposal. When you talk about Julio Jones, Mohamed Sanu, Calvin Ridley, uh, Devontae Freeman, they've got just weapon after weapon, but they just can't stop turning the ball over. So if he gets that that fixed, look out. It's a, it's a, it's still a dangerous team that was uh, in the Super Bowl a few years ago. Andre, Julio Jones, we don't see him much. As far as Texans games go, we only see him once every four years, but we see him on national television or whatever. Your thoughts on his game? He's always in that debate with DeAndre Hopkins, who's the best in the league, and they're all good, all these guys who are at the top there. But what do you think of Jones's game? I think he's one of the best in the game. When you look at uh, just the physical aspect of, of how he plays the game and a very 
very physical manner, challenging and and uh, pulling balls in when defenders are all over him. And then he's got the speed to go with the size. Uh, he can pull away from defenders that are giving chase. He's not afraid to go over the middle and make catches and then uh, try to get yards after the catch. So, yeah, I, I would think definitely he's in the uh, – in the top two or three, top, uh, top certainly top five receivers uh, in the league. All right, so what do you think of the Texans as they try to snap out of this offensive funk they're in, for lack of a better word, at home? Scoring 13 points in the home opener and then in the next game, 10 points, and you know they could do a whole lot better. What do you think has to come first here as they try to get going on that side of the football? thing, Mark, is that you have to score points when – when given opportunities to score points, you get down inside the 30, inside the red zone, uh, that points need to go on the board. You can't keep coming up uh, empty handed, so to speak, and then allow uh, a team to stop you or turn it over or whatever. And then uh, they take the ball and they go down and score. Now you, and especially in close games, and that's been kind of the MO of the season. Every single game uh, in the first uh, four weeks of the season have been close games. And so you can't do anything to come up empty-handed uh, in, in those instances. In close games, you need points. Uh, you need the momentum. Uh, sometimes that's all it takes are points on the board to kind of snatch momentum from a team, and then they feel pressure. So I, I think that's where you start is that when scoring opportunities are there, you got to put points on the board. Deshaun said after the game that he needs to take his game to another level. So what's the prescription for him as he tries to get these offensive problems solved in the home gym? Um, I think his game is at a, a level that's just fine already. The thing about it is just, and I hope he means it from the standpoint of just getting rid of the football when necessary, because that's the only thing I think he needs to do. Uh, when you start talking about taking it to another level, if you're thinking literally, then you're gonna you're gonna try to produce more than uh, than need be, and at that point, I think some uh, mistakes might come into to, to play where you start forcing balls where they don't need to be forced, where where he looked like uh, he did when he came back from the injury, and then had to reel himself back in, and he was a much better player for having done so. I think Deshaun is just fine. Uh, the ball just needs to come out, and so from the net from a next level standpoint that he's speaking of I hope it's from get through reads quicker uh, get the ball out a little quicker uh, don't take unnecessary hits and and certainly don't hold on to it uh, as much as he did against the Panthers but uh, I, I think he's just fine uh, if he looked like he I'll take a Deshaun Watson that looked like he did against San Diego uh, every excuse me LA Chargers every single week we're going to do that all year so uh, we'll just accept it now so and maybe someday they move back and we'll be proven right. I'm hoping they move back. That's for sure. And the people in San Diego hope so as well. Andre, I look at all these young quarterbacks. What is your theory on why they look more game ready than ever to step into an NFL situation and produce? Maybe not produce in an all world sense, Pro Bowl sense, but certainly get the job done. All these young guys in the league, it's really amazing. I think a, a big part of it, Mark, is that coaches, the head coaches of these young players, really understand who they are, and they're giving them a high dose of what they did in college. They're adapting to what the player did in college as opposed to trying to force a system on the player. 
And it takes longer when that happens. When you give a young player a taste of what they're already uh, accustomed to and what they've been running for uh, three, sometimes four years in college, sometimes, you know, a guy registered and played five years of college football. So uh, it's a foundation that they're very familiar with. They can go in, it's second nature, and they can just go in and execute. And I think the way that uh, they brought Pat Mahomes along in Kansas City where he was able to kind of take a red shirt year, get adjusted, and then Andy Reid on top of that still mixed in some things that uh, that uh, that he did at Texas Tech and allowed him to just be uh, Pat Mahomes is just it was bordering on genius and it turned into an MVP season for him last year and he's continuing uh, to play at such a high level so I think that's the case across the board with a lot of these young guys you see it in. Uh, with Mitchell Trubisky, who's out now, but when he was playing well last year, uh, you see him run some zone read and some things that he's comfortable with when he was at North Carolina and so on and so forth. Andre, how are the Texans taking the ball away so well? I mean, they're really dislodging the ball from the opponent at a good clip right here. Three strip sacks on Sunday. They weren't able to capitalize the way they wanted, but that could really come in handy this week because the Falcons have been having pass protection issues. When you think of, of taking the ball away, you're thinking about interceptions. It's not really coming in that form. It's it's just pawing the ball out. And they've, they've done an excellent job of kind of really concentrating on that as they rush the passer. Where's the ball? Uh, let's locate the ball. And I, I think the way the game has changed where you can't really level a quarterback in today's game, uh, you have to take him down. But the next best thing is uh, to aim for the football as you're – delicately bringing him down, so to speak. So that's a that's a, a an area where you still can be very aggressive as a play on the football as a as a pass rusher. And I, I think it's something that they work on uh quite a bit and uh and, and have gotten pretty good at at doing so. Andre Ware joining us. Dre, you have Georgia Southern this Thursday night, rare Thursday night game for you, and they run that triple option. That stuff is very difficult to defend, and it's fun to watch when it's really clicking. Yes, and that's what makes them special is that they run the triple option. So it's tough to get ready for them. It's tough to prepare for them inside of a week. And uh, you see it with the military academies, Army, Navy, when you face them mid-season, that is just a nightmare to get ready for because you really have to forget all things football and go back, you know, years to put it in as a defensive coordinator of how to stop the triple option. And some of these uh, defensive coordinators don't have, frankly, don't have the experience in stopping it, and uh, and it becomes very frustrating. And next thing you know, you're in the middle of a game, and uh, and they're executing at a very high level. So. Uh, it's tough to face a team like Georgia Southern in, in, uh, in a midweek and especially on a short week where you just played on Saturday. Now, you ran an option-type game in high school, correct? Do I have that right? I ran the wing tee, which had some components of the option in it, mm-hmm. and uh, and then kind of fall, fell into the run and shoot once I got to uh, to the University of Houston, so two totally opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of of uh, of the offenses I ran in in at, at uh, in high school and in college. That is beautiful. The wing tee to the run and shoot. Different worlds. And let me ask you this: Why don't more schools run an option game? Is it because it's not sexy and kids don't want to play it? Coming out of high school, it's tougher recruiting. Is that it? Yeah, I, I think especially from 
from the state of Texas. You got now the seven on seven, uh, things going on on a high school level that you, they're running during the off season. I think we had a conversation about that uh, just last week. And the one thing I know about kids nowadays, and especially maybe not even kids, but parents, it's how do I get to the NFL? Well, they're not running the triple option in high schools or they're not running the triple option in the NFL, so to speak. So uh, I need my son to, to get to a place where they're running a, a system that uh, prepares them for the next level. And, you know, at some point, it's football's football. You can make the transition from, from one, uh, one offense to the other. If you're a good football player, you're, you're going to make it to the NFL. So uh, I think it's just really overblown, and a great deal of it is just it's the parents. Dre, thanks a lot for the time. We appreciate it as always, and we'll see you on Sunday. We'll see you there. Thanks to Andre for being on. Thanks very much to Kevin Kugler and Wes Durham as well. Fun podcast this week. Check out all the other podcasts right here or wherever fine podcasts are available. In other words, where you'd like to get yours. Now, Texans, Falcons, Sunday at noon. Founders Day, looking forward to it. Let's keep it rolling here all week long with the coverage on HoustonTexans.com and all our social media channels. Have a great day and go Texans.